Hey guys, what's going on? Welcome to the show. Welcome back. It's Action Movie Anatomy. It's Wednesday and we are here to talk about monsters versus robots. It's going to be crazy. We've got a very special call in from none other than Mr. Richard Eric Jarvie on the show. Coming up today, we'll see you guys for Pacific Rim in just one freaking second. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now... Here's Popcorn Talk's Action Movie Anatomy. Whoa! I can hear you introing the show with this song. It's the greatest remix ever. (laughs) Is there a reason why we're hearing Ben talk? Is it because you're? Is it my phone? It's probably my phone. I think. I think it was. Yeah, Yeah, it was. Nice. (laughs) Well, you weren't on the screen yet. Hey guys, this is a first time doing this show. Hey guys, Andrew's been drinking for three days without sleep. Uh, what's going on everybody? It's Welcome back. Day. It's Action Movie Anatomy. It's Wednesday. We're here. It's the Popcorn Talk Network, the online broadcast network dedicated to talking movies. All things movie related and pop culture with a bucketful. I just want to give a quick shout out to Marissa Serafini. Up in the booth today, engineer, producer. Uh, this Host? Was the, yeah, yeah. Well, the re- I'm going to point that out in just one second because Marissa, if you don't mind saying hello. Hello, gentlemen. Marissa does a show called uh, uh, it's called Anatomy of a Movie, and this was the first movie that Anatomy of a Movie ever reviewed five years ago. Yeah, it's been five years, and we're coming up on our 400th, but yeah, if you want to check out our Anatomy of a Movie show, too, we go in-depth with some symbolism and cinematography, all all that jazz. We are not going to be talking about any of that. We're going to be talking about (laughs) Charlie Hunnam's accent the whole time. Holy shit, 400 episodes, and years later, I was on the Jurassic World episode, like, a long time ago, about 20 pounds ago. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Hey, everybody. I'm Andrew Guy. You guys can follow me online at Andrew Guy, Instagram, Twitter, and you can find our, our very own Twitter page, at AMA Podcast, where we post... All things action movie related. Yeah. 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 My name is Ben Bateman. I'm going to go here. You guys can find me at Ben Bateman Media, Twitter, Instagram. I've got a live Jasmine account you can find me on uh, every Thursday. What Wait, is Jasmine? What show is this? No, <laughs> just, that, was, that was a joke. That uh, was a joke. It was an adult film joke. Was um, okay. So, <laughs> so uh, we're back to talk about action movies after that brief segue there. Um, we we do have a Facebook page, by the way. <laughs> no, no one cares anymore. <laughs> our Facebook page is the Action Movie Anatomy fan page. You can also find the Action Army fan page. That is for our Schmodown personas. And today is a very special episode because we're going to be covering Pacific Rim and our buddy Richard Eric Jarvie is going to be calling in. Richard, you better be Jaeger wasted yeah, you when bet. you call in. If it's, if it's right now and you're not drinking yet, I expect you to just go bottle pull six <laughs> times straight till we have you call in. No, 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 please don't. Drink responsibly. Unless you're Richard Eric Jarvie calling in right now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, but uh, we are going to be talking to Richard, who's a longtime, longtime supporter of the show, one of the founders of the Facebook fan page. We're very excited yeah. to have him on the show. Somebody who was responsible for us watching several movies for the first time. Rush was a movie that we Rush watched was, yeah. the first time because of Richard. Uh, I think there was another one, too, right? There's definitely another one in there. Um, yeah, Richard's, I mean, he's one of those fans that's become a friend of ours. He's been such a such a, such a loyal fan and so uh, active in, the, in both groups and in everything that... Um, yeah, yeah, it's really exciting. Also, there is a podcast coming out that yeah. our fans are doing. It's called Call to Action, and it's yeah. all about us and what we're doing and the Schmodown and all that. So check that out um, if you guys can find it. I'm not sure where it'll be, but I'm sure it'll be posted on our Facebook fan yes, groups. Yes, we should be able to find that. So uh, that should be very, very exciting. Last but not least, we are going to talk about the movie. I swear to God, we're getting there. Uh, we do have a thing we do every single week on Patreon, yes. uh, patreon.com slash teamaction. Drew and I do extra like 10 to 20 minutes of content every single week. 
For a buck a month, you get uh, basically an extra hour plus of content from us. Uh, it's all shot from another location in front of a gigantic, gigantic wall hang of Nicolas Cage. It's huge. And he looks regal in the wall hang. And uh, we talk about all kinds of stuff. So we, we do little mini action movie anatomies. We do top five lists submitted by you, the fans. Uh, that's one of the perks of the Patreon. And uh, yeah, all kinds of stuff. Trailer reactions. We, we talk about Schmodown matches and our Schmodown personas. Yeah, I mean, literally anything that we can talk about that isn't action movie related directly to this show, we will talk about on that extra channel. Yeah, so that's the thing. So yeah. check that out. T- uh, Patreon.com slash Team Action. We've got uh, some really fun stuff coming up this week. Let's talk about this show and what we do here. We talk action movies. Those yeah. action movies adhere to four basic rules. Rule number one, the movie contains... Never mind. The, mo- the hero <laughs> always plays by their own rules. Uh, that's... that's eh. It's yeah. in, it's interesting in this movie because this happens a lot in movies like this where you're like in some sort of academy or military academy. Yeah, and you're right. like the new young buck, even though he's like the old new. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Young Buck. He definitely does. He's Maverick from Top Gun. He's dangerous. Yeah, he's unpredictable. He, he is. He is. He'll do anything. You're unpredictable. I don't like your style. <laughs> yeah, that yeah. Was, I know. I know yeah, exactly. Yeah. I know his voice. I was doing. Yeah. <laughs> this is Rule number two: the hero and the villain are always the smartest people in the room. That can be beings, things, dinosaurs, what have you. So, I mean, be, when you are Maverick from Top Gun, you always are the smartest, and you also play by your own rules because. So, like, he is the smartest hero because he's the best fighter. Right. But what's so interesting about this movie is that you have to have a bridged brain and physical. So him and Mako together with with Idris's guidance, I believe. Because Charlie by himself is not the smartest guy in the room. Do you think he's trying to say Mako, but his accent's so bad that he says Mako? Yeah. <laughs> I, I think he probably just says one or the other throughout the whole movie. <laughs> um, so, And then the kaiju are the smartest villains in the room because, like, they're the... There's those. There's the scene towards the end of the movie where you like see the creators standing as they watch the bomb go off. Yeah, I don't. What are they called again? The, the architects? No, no, no. The uh, instigators. The, 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 the <laughs> guys in the in the live chat. Why well, can't I remember the name of literally it. Just the recursors it. or it's something? Oh, 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 the, uh, precursors. The precursor. Pre- yes. <laughs> <laughs> we we we're covering this yeah. professionally on yeah, our show on right our now. Show. <laughs> There's no notes on my page about the precursors. Uh, no. So you see them for a second. I, I think they're the smartest in the room. One yeah. of them has a staff like he's wise. So he's got to be super smart. Right? Because you got to have a staff, if, especially like an alien race. Mm-hmm. It's like a wooden staff. They don't even have wood on that planet probably. No. no. Um, so, yeah, there you go. That's uh, rule number two. Rule number three, the movie is driven by police, military, political, or mercenary figure. Um, yeah. yeah. No, they're... they're their yeah. definition of military. I guess they are military. Yeah. I guess it's like an old military academy. Well, so it's like still... the whole... The whole world has united to form this, right. this group of Jaeger pilots. And then the fourth one, easy. The movie contains a minimum of one explosion. I couldn't imagine this movie without an explosion. It's a lot of explosions. It would be horrible. A lot of things blowing up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so 
We both have. So that, that's that's what's going on. That's the rules of action movie. Took us about me. twenty minutes to get through it. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we have a few things coming up on the show today. Some really fun stuff. We are going to be talking about our thesis statements, our fist bump moments, our favorite lines. We're going to be doing some really bad Charlie Hunnam impressions. We've got Richard Eric Jarvey calling, and we have a segment called "What Were You Thinking, Man?" About great directors deciding to direct questionable films. Um, whether or not this one qualifies in that category, you will find out. And we might even have a conversation: overly siege, underly siege, properly siege about Guillermo del Toro, if. We have time. We will see. In the meantime, before we get there, we are going to watch the trailer to Pacific Rim right now. Sweet trailer, if I remember. Life would come from yeah, the stars. Hope. We always yeah, thought time. We always <laughs> thought alien life would come Pacific. from the stars. <laughs> what the hell is going on? First kaiju you made land in San Francisco. First kaiju made land in San, San Francisco. Francisco. San Francisco. That's not how Americans say San where Francisco, I grew, Charlie. Where I grew up. <laughs> where I grew up. Yes. There's an image of, of Jarvie just sent me an image of him chugging Jameson. You can't see it, but goddammit am I proud of you. We created monsters of our own. Monsters of our own. My name is Charlie Han. 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 Two pilots, our minds, our memories. Connected. Connected. And machine. Connected. It's it like come one. It feels more like a 90s action movie than most modern movies we've ever done. Totally. And the only reason that it's not is at the edge of our hope. Yeah. The edge of our time. Uh, the only reason that it's not is strictly because of the graphics. Yeah. Which are sick. They're awesome. Yeah. Each other. Also, like, you can't put the best line in the movie in the trailer. Does he say we are canceling the apocalypse here? Yeah, it's, it's, it's his whole speech. <laughs> it's the whole speech. <laughs> Which also, like, props to Idris Elba to turning, like, two sentences into a fucking six speech. Yeah, because I looked at it on paper, and it literally is, like, two and a half sentences. Yes, yeah. I, I was sure when I got to it, because people had I'd seen in the, the Facebook oh, comments. Ooh. Yeah, I'd seen in the Facebook comments that uh, his speech was, like, a lot of people's favorite part. Yeah. I like that somehow he's he's carrying a boat, and somehow a boat is a far, far, far more solid item than, than like, a building yeah. or anything else. Some I did <laughs> think it was sick when he locked up with the boat, though. Yeah. Somehow it's, like, a very long, thin object. It's a destroyer. Doesn't break. Nope. Of course nope. not. It's of a, course not. It's a fucking movie. It's made to be shot with torpedoes. Ah, I'm happy to be here today, guys. I'm happy to be here talking about this movie. It's fun to laugh about movies that are awesome, but also a little bit bad in some ways. That's it, what we founded this show on. Yeah, totally. And like, <laughs> you know, this week was a, is a fun week for me. So I moved, mm. and uh, there's a theater that's very close to my new house. I watched um, Uprising three times. I watched Uprising three times <laughs> this week. No, but so this week, <clears throat> today's Wednesday, and I've seen uh, a movie on Monday and Tuesday, and I saw uh, Pacific Rim, yep. Uprising, and Game Night, respectively. Yep. And I, and I sat down for Game Night yesterday, and I had this smile on my face, and I was like, I'm just excited to kind of have a good time. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm yeah. not expecting anything. And I realized that I did that with Pacific Rim 2, and I fucking loved it. Yep. So, uh, it's been a fun week. And yeah, I'm really excited to talk about this movie, because this is just good popcorn fun. Game Night, how good was Jesse Plemons? Jesse Plemons in Game Night may be <laughs> one of the greatest comedic performances ever. <laughs> one of the sleeper comedic performances I've ever seen in my life. Because, like, he did... <laughs> I mean, like, he knows he's being funny. 
But he's so sincere. Oh my gosh, we're we're gonna do probably a little mini AMA on game night on our Patreon. But <laughs> when you first see him, he's in the driveway. Three bags, three Fritos bags of scoops. Fruit. There's no way they can be. They had a three for one deal, but three for one. How could it possibly be profitable, profitable for Frito Lay? <laughs> so good, it's just unbelievably funny. Um, but yeah, so I think there's a lot of really interesting things to talk about with this movie. The fact mm. that Guillermo directed it, I think, is interesting. A lot of people think that's great. I actually think it was a misstep. Mm. Um, but yeah, yeah, there's a lot of interesting stuff going on with this movie. <clears throat> so uh, yeah, we we are going to get straight into things. We, we we like to start the show off with a segment called thesis statement. If you guys are watching, you know, listening for the first time, it's that it's your biggest boldest thought about this film. It's the thing that really, when you talk about this movie with someone, this is the first thought that you want to bring up, and it's the thing you're going to hold on to the whole time you talk about it. The greatest this, the only this, like should never be. You know, this is one of my favorite Charlie Hunnam performances. It should be, <laughs> which it, it is. should never be that. It should be. <laughs> it should be something strong. And uh, you know, movies like this, when they're a little newer and they're not classics, they're just these kind of. This movie sort of happened. Mm-hmm. It's like a cult classic in some ways, and then it sort of just went. Having a thesis about it that matters or that is strong is like I think it's a little harder to come up with. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And um, <clears throat> this movie is a very. It's like an anomaly in a sense because it was so hyped when it came out and it literally did just come and go but now yeah it seems it has this huge following which is why they come up with a sequel five years later which yeah. is which is pretty that's like a very late sequel and most yes. is like two to four years four years is like the cap yeah usually it's you, you can expect <clears throat> if it's an immediate direct follow-up uh it'll be two yeah. and if they need that extra year of production they'll push it to three at four years it's like maybe you know it just got pushed by year at five years it's like it got pushed, but somehow you guys held on to this still happening for some reason. Yeah, and, and, and someone else out there didn't care enough to make it happen sooner. Yeah, right. So it's interesting. Yeah, like <clears throat> Sherlock Gnomes, the sequel to Gnomeo and Juliet, that Which, took seven years. <laughs> and you loved it. I was proud to review that film. <laughs> oh, yeah, you guys can check out Nerds and Suits movies, by the way. That's, like, that's my uh, mini, <laughs> mini podcast. It's like eight minutes a day, basically. I review every single movie that comes out during the week. Uh, you guys will be getting my Ready Player One review probably tomorrow, I'm guessing. Maybe, maybe today. Uh, and, uh, yeah, and you guys can check that out. So all those movies we talked about, Game Night, Annihilation, uh, Pacific Rim Uprising, I've reviewed yeah. them all. So. Uh, let's uh, let's let's get into thesis statement. Do you want to jump in with yours first? Yeah, I'm going to jump in with mine. It looks like Richard's having a little trouble with the call in with the Skype. Uh, so we'll see what happens there. I got the chat open, but my thesis is interesting because I would not have been able to draw this thesis up had I not seen Pacific Rim Uprising two this week. And my thesis it's just is just Pacific Rim Uprising. It's not called Pacific Rim Uprising two. Pacific Rim Uprising two, the sequel, <laughs> uh, is that Pacific Rim Uprising is the better movie. <laughs> It's a better yes, movie than Pacific Rim. It is the better film. I enjoyed it more. It succeeded because it wasn't ge- directed by Guillermo. Because the first one struggled with Guillermo trying to do what he always does, which is tell a beautiful story, which is tell a love story. <laughs> he even, in the production, discussed, he's like, I had a really hard time. First of all, I've never shot a movie in under three months. Or uh, in under 115 days, ever. And he had to yeah. shoot this one in like 105 or something like that. Um, and... Due to that, he 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 let a lot of improv- improvisation happen on set. So good thing that Charlie was in charge of that. Yep. Uh, and he wasn't able to put in all the backstories that he wanted to tell the stories to make you care about Mako and make you care about Raleigh more. Um, so I think I the reason I say that Pacific Rim Two 
or Pacific Rim Uprising is a better movie is because it was exactly what I wanted. Yeah. It was bigger monsters, bigger explosions, robot monsters. Like, yeah. I don't care about these people. I don't care about the stories. I just want to see people get destroyed and the cities vol- get the destroyed. The Voltron Beast. The Voltron <laughs> Beast. Like, all the things. So for me... And 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 I and I and I texted you and I was like, it's strictly due to expectation. Yeah, hundred percent. I hear Guillermo del Toro's Del Toro was directing a monsters versus robots, yeah. like awesome. Like he even said he wanted to be a space opera on Earth. Essentially, you knew it was going to look amazing, which it does. Totally, it just misses on every other level. <laughs> right, right. So for me. That's what I got to say. Uh, yeah, for me, my, my thesis statement is that uh, spending $190 million on a movie led by Charlie Hunnam and Rinko Kikuchi is a mistake. Yeah, it doesn't matter if Guillermo was directing it or not. And at the time, Guillermo wasn't who he is now. He was like, like Guillermo, you know, revisionist history will tell you that people thought Guillermo del Toro directing this movie in 2013 was like, there was, gonna, you know, people, he wasn't like a commodity like he is yet. He was a guy that was, and we'll talk about Guillermo in a second when we get to, you know, written and directed by, but basically at the time he was really, 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 really famous for one movie. He had done Pan's Labyrinth and that's the movie in, in his, oh, oh, oh my God. Oh. <laughs> I, that had better be Richard Eric Jarvie. Mom? <laughs> Everyone, listen what? up. Today, at the edge of our hope. Yes. At the end of our time, we have chosen not only to believe in ourselves, but in each other. Today, there's not a man or woman in here that shall stand below. Not today. Today, we face the monsters that are at our door and bring the fight to them. Today, we are canceling the apocalypse. Yes! Yes, Yes, we are, Richard! Yes, we are! Welcome to the show. Here, here. God damn it, Commodore, you are a... Badass. That yeah. was amazing. Thanks. That was a great way to start All the right, call. Guys, that was a lot of fun, man. Thanks a lot. <laughs> Dude, he's going to go now. Thanks, Richard, for calling. Uh, how's it going, man? Oh, man. Oh, it's great, man. I'm, I'm super psyched to be calling, calling in, man. This is great. Yeah, this is exciting. So I was just saying, I was basically just wrapping up my thought on the thesis, which is just that, like, at the time... I mean, Rinko Kikuchi, even then or now, it's sort of just like, that's a strange second lead. But Charlie Hunnam, even at the time, is just not somebody who I would bank $190 million on him as the lead in. I mean, that's just, you watch this movie and, like, he doesn't deliver. He's not very good in it. It's just, that's the problem with the movie. Idris is great. He's a great third lead. Yeah. Totally great. Did you watch Sons of Anarchy, Richard? Uh, no, I haven't, actually. But, yeah, like, the thing with Charlie Hunnam is, I think it was, like, it was first one of my theses that uh, I think Charlie Hunnam is one of, well, I can't say the most unluckiest, but one of the unluckiest male leads, because he's actually been in some pretty good movies, like Pac Grimm and King Arthur. They're both, like, pretty decent blockbusters, but he, he doesn't seem to be able to, like, get the traction. Yeah, I mean, and so when you say it's his, you know, one of the unluckiest people in Hollywood, why do you think that is, man? I mean, because... For for me personally, I, I I think he's a bad actor. I do, but I haven't watched Sons of Anarchy and I haven't watched King Arthur, so I don't know. I I, I I'm not like a I'm not well versed. So why do you think? Because it can't just be luck, right? No, no. I, uh, like yeah, I'm, I don't. I'm not a fan of his because of his acting skills. I think he's a guy who's been put in a position, sort of like Taylor Kitsch. Like he's been given the opportunity to be to be an act to be in like an like a big star. So he's been like in these big movies, but he hasn't gotten that traction. And I think one of the things like 
I don't like the Fifty Shades of Grey movies, but mm-hmm. I think if he actually gotten the role of Christian Grey, right. he would have skyrocketed his star. We had to drop that out of that, right? Given that's him the story. A, a better platform. Yeah, that's interesting. He, I think he would have been much better suited in that movie as well, because from what I've heard, Jamie Dornan or whatever is pretty dong man. Dong <laughs> is pretty bad. Uh, so, Richard, um, <clears throat> I got to ask you, man, what is your fist pump moment? Because that's the segment we're about to get into. So, what better way to kick it off than to have you kick it off for us? All right, do you have an hour? <laughs> no, actually, I have several. One of the, like, first I put down the, the same speech that Elba gives. But then I watched it, I actually watched it twice this weekend. One of my favorite, like, it's one of my favorite lines, and it's also my fist bump moment. And it's actually kind of a low-key moment, and it's where um, uh, where Marco says, uh, when, uh, when Beckett says, like, we don't have to obey him, you know, and Marco says, it's not obedience, Mr. Beckett. It's respect. Mm. Yeah, okay, and I think sweet. that's that's really really cool. There's like paternal themes in this movie, and respecting your elders. I think it's like it's kind of old fashioned, but it works so well in this movie. Yeah, yeah. that is a great line, um, Richard. You, I've noticed you have you're, you're very similar with Ben in the sense of like you you really latch onto like the father father son stories and the family stories yeah. and movies. Uh, I know that you have a very strong relationship with your father as well in that sense with film. Mm-hmm. Did you think that this movie kind of fell flat or do you think it succeeded in the relationships between Charlie Hunnam and Mako and Mako and Id- Idris? Uh, well, I actually, I think I enjoyed this movie a lot more than you did because uh, one of the like factors about watching it again and again, like this past few days, I kind of actually, like my thesis, it's not a, firm sentence but the thing i said about it is what makes this movie great is not the kaiju jaeger action but the like the human connection in it and the father-son moment the father-daughter moments and like riley losing his brother and i think like the actual drift connection is a perfect representation of like the compatibility of the characters and i think this gives like this movie its heart and soul yeah, and I, I kind of like how I, I, I'm. I'm a fan of how how they deal with these uh, relationships. So they, they really work for me in this one. That's interesting. I, and I would agree with you that in general, I mean, as you know, obviously being a longtime listener of the show, it's the moments between the action that usually sell the movies for us. That's that tends exactly. to be what we pay attention to. I think for me, it's like I, I was saying this to Andrew. You know, I'm gonna just read off a list of people, and it's like here's a couple guys: Charlie Hunnam, Sam Worthington, Jai Courtney, Scott Eastwood, Joel Kinnaman. I mean, these are all these guys that you see sort of show up in roles like this, and it's like mm. you just see so often these like short-haired, a little bit of stubble, kind of generic white guys, <laughs> and they just if they if they don't get a single, if they just swing and miss, the movie still goes because like. The studio's going to put money behind it. It's still going to work. And for me, I think that's the biggest reason this movie misses. It's just he's another one of those guys that doesn't have that thing. He doesn't have that thing. And so those moments you're talking about, I like the moments between Idris and Mako, but that's because Idris is a really good actor. And, like, that, mm-hmm. that great moment when they're underwater just before Idris blows up, that's a great moment when he's saying goodbye. You know, I love that moment. But, like, so much of this movie and American movies hinge on these white male leads and their big moments. That's like so much of what the narrative in these movies is about. And it's, it's unfortunate because that's just like what American cinema has become. But if you have somebody who doesn't deliver in those roles, I, I think that it sinks the movie for me. And that's my problem with this movie. It's got to be my biggest problem with this movie. Mm. 
But what what did you think of the moment where uh, Max Martini is saying like goodbye to his son when he's uh, going on this like sort of suicide mission? Yeah, yeah, right. He's like, "You've got my son." I think yeah, that, that really worked for me. Like, I kind of even teared up for a second there. Yeah, you know, <clears throat> and I didn't catch myself uh, kind of like uh, getting like overwhelming emotions a couple times during the first one. I was like, "Wow, I might actually like." But I, that actually happened to me in the second one as well. I don't know why, but there <laughs> really were. There really were those moments where I was just... Because it's the same thing. It's the same thing of these people like fighting so hard to survive, essentially. Um, so, I gotta ask you, man. If you were Drift compatible with one celebrity, who would it be? <laughs> oh, snap. <laughs> don't you say Alicia oh, Vikander. I gotta think about this. Oh, I know who it is. Come on. It's TC. It's, it's, it's gotta be TC. Yeah. <laughs> He would be the ultimate drift buddy. While we have you on well, here, did you see did, that? He, did, you, did you see that he tweeted a picture uh, ra- just wrapped in Abu Dhabi? It's him like hanging off a helicopter, and he's like, "Thank you, Abu Dhabi." And it's like, just like it, I, I saw all these tweets from people in the industry that I know that I like don't know that are outwardly Tom Cruise fans. They're all like most excited for any movie this summer. It's like, of course you are. Of course everybody is. The world's coming back around on <laughs> our boy. Richard, can we get you to call back in for uh, Mission Impossible Six? Oh, for sure. I'd be happy to, man. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Fan-freaking-tastic, man. Well, thank you so much for being a part of the Army. Thank you so much for uh, for keeping this thing going with us for so long, man. It's been a blast, and uh, we're happy to have you on the episode. Oh, man, I just I just want to directly say thank you. Thank you to both of you, honestly. Like, this has been one of my favorite pieces of entertainment, like, every week, and I've been a big fan of the show for years, and, like, having been just a small part of the show is truly a dream come true. So thank you so much, guys. No, of course, Richard Eric Jarby, Commodore, we... Salute, Salute you. you. Have a good day, brother. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Clear eyes, full heart. Can't lose. <laughs> yes. Clear yeah. eyes, full heart. Kyle Chandler was pretty great. In, uh, he was good, right? In, uh, in Game Night as well. Pretty good, man. Pretty good, man. All right, guys. That was Richard Eric Jarvie, a Commodore calling in, giving an excellent speech from Idris. Almost better than Idris gave it. Yeah, it was uh, terrific. So let's get into our fist pumps. Yes. Right? Okay. Yeah, I'm going to go with my, my fist pump moment. Is, the, is It's like the first 15 minutes of the movie because... It's funny uh, the, the amount of shit that I'm talking about this movie, and I, I I outlined it very clearly just now. I think that's my biggest problem. It's just that I get I get really burnt out in these movies when you have a, like a, like a guy who basically functions like Hunnam does in this movie. It really takes me out of it. It really does. But I do I I under I know exactly what you're saying right now. Yeah, and, and that's that it takes you out of it, but you still love the movie. It was well, still incredibly enjoyable, and and the tone is set in the first fifteen, which is I think really important for this movie, and it's yeah. one of the things I like so much about it because. Even when he's kind of giving his <laughs> his voiceover about when the kaiju came kaiju. to the world, yeah, um, in San Francisco, San like, Francisco. <laughs> he's like, I think he's a bad actor, and and that part. But I also was watching, and I like, I looked over the person I was watching with, and I was just like, it's sweet that they just get straight into it. Yeah, I was like, it's sweet that they just they don't waste any time. They just literally put us right into it. Like you get the premise of the movie in ninety seconds. You get exactly what's going on, and then here was my fist bump. It's one hundred's like. Jaeger pilots were like rock stars. Yes. It shows him and his brother like walk strutting in the they're, leather jackets, like big boxy yeah. leather jackets. Yeah, and also and also because the music in this movie I think is low key a fist pump moment. Yeah, the, the theme sick. it's like super like. My brother and I, we weren't the smartest no. or the or star athletes, <laughs> yeah. but we could hold our own in a fight. We could hold our own in a fight. <laughs> yeah. And like you look at him and you're like, okay, so your brother's going to die in the first scene. <laughs> yes, exactly. I was like, that guy's the ultimate you know he's going to die guy. I was like, I don't know who that actor is. He's dead in the first scene, and that's going to make this guy be like broken and shattered, but he's a really good fighter. And that's all I need. I'm in. I'm yeah. totally fucking yep. in. Totally in. Heartbroken. Going to go work construction. <laughs> that was my fist bump moment. Just them, them in the leather jackets. <laughs> 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 
burnt. I was like, yeah. The music is sweet. I, yeah. I will definitely give him that. Okay, so my fist pump, I had a couple, as I always do. The the uh, the Jaeger walking with the destroyer was yeah, one of them, yeah, just yeah. like walking through the city. Um, but mine actually happened right away as well in the movie, <clears throat> and it's when you see that first kaiju that kills his brother. Yeah, and it's when they're like, "Oh, this time there's an island three miles away, two miles." One mile. How's it getting closer? And then then you see it swimming underwater. The the massive size of it. Like I have. What's that? Like Tessa Thila, where you're like scared of the like the greatness of the ocean. Uh So to the T. But anyway. I am always fascinated when you see like these massive creatures in movies okay, and waters. Yeah, yeah. Like even in Jurassic World, like the Megalodon or whatever, oh, the, the thing, the thing in the water. The thing. Yeah, 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 that was like my favorite monster. So for me, when you see that thing swimming underwater and how big it is, you're yeah. just like, "Holy shit!" They think that's an island. Yeah. That's how big it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you see it, and you're just like, "Man, it's going down." Yeah, yeah. I loved it. Another thing that I think is great about this movie, and and this is like definitely something that's it's consistent in both movies, is like. The size of a Jaeger, it, like, they're they're the size of buildings, right? They're, like, bigger than buildings. Yes. And they're these huge, like, mechanical, like, just enormous things that get, like, the shit kicked out of them. You see them kicked around and, like, sparking everywhere and getting beaten and scratched and dented. Somehow they manage to, like, bring them into, like, a bay and repair them. And, like, like, with one person, like, in, in, like, a few hours or, like, a day, maybe? Yeah. Whereas, like... It takes $5 billion, $5 billion in two years to build the football stadium for the Rams. Right. And that can't move. (laughs) Two years. Like, it would take, like, a year to repair one of these things because, like, if you didn't repair it properly, it would malfunction. Yeah. When I was watching the second one, there was definite moments of that. With With the whole, like, secondary lead female... Who's just like the pretty girl? That's oh, like oh the, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, she's like an engineer. She was a strong, irrelevant character. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just like, oh, oh, I had to go fix a, a Jaeger. It's just like her on top with like these things, like bring it in, bring it. It's like a gun the size of a. Yeah, it was, it was pretty ridiculous. <laughs> like put a flight suit on her. Give her those light things. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, all right. So moving on. Do past- you want this? Just low key. Just take. Do you want to rank those five for me, real quick? What five? Hunnam, Worthington, Courtney, Eastwood, and Kinnaman. Oh, my God. I mean, this is impromptu, guys. This is unplanned. This is great. Hunnam, Kinnaman. Yeah. What, what did he even do? That Kinnaman? Joel Kinnaman? Yeah, I know him. Uh, he's Rick Flagg in Suicide Squad. He's also in... Uh, he's he's right. like he's the turncoat agent in uh, Safe House. Eastwood. He's, like, real famous in Sweden, I think. Worthington. <laughs> and, and so I've got Eastwood, Kinnaman, Worthington, Hunnam, and who else? Jack Courtney. And Chai Courtney. <laughs> and like, thank if, God that Charlie Hunnam, I mean, not Charlie Hunnam, that Taylor Kitsch got himself out of this. If we weren't just big fans of them, I'm guaranteed guaranteed Joel Edgerton and Taylor Kitsch were on this list. <laughs> well, it's funny. We're just big fans of Janine. <laughs> shout out to Janine, by the way, who has been crushing it in the. I think she has another match today. Or is it today? Or no, maybe she plays in one soon. I don't know. Either way, she's in the live chat, but Janine was talking. She's like, stop trying to make Taylor Kitsch happen. Yeah. <laughs> in the chat. I'm like, we will always try to make Taylor Kitsch yeah, happen, Janine. I'll, I'll let you rank Kitsch in there just because you know I'm a fan, but that's. That's no, no, no. I like I like Kitch a okay, lot. You like so Kitch. I don't I don't want him on this list. Okay, good. And Edgerton doesn't even belong yeah, to be spoken in, in the this. same sentence. All right. So honestly, as much of a joke as this is, <laughs> I think I actually no. Who are we going? We're going five to one. Yeah, and if you want to think about it, we could ask Marissa her number one and her number five here, just because I yeah. I, let's I, just yeah. Add, let's ask her real quick, Marissa. Out of those five, who's your favorite and who's your least favorite? Hunnam Worthington, Jai Courtney, Scott Eastwood, and Joel Kinnaman. Oh my. Ooh, I have to think about that. Give me like. Well, I did like 
Joel Kinnaman because I watched him in uh, AMC's Killing, and he was great. Okay. So I knew his character before I knew him as Rick Flagg. Okay, so, so you actually I like him. I am actually more uh, aware of his acting, and he's also great in Altered Carbon. Oh, he's oh just, yeah. He's killing right now. I've been hearing that. Um, I actually have him first on my list as well. Kinnaman? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> just just because I remember I remember him, and, and I didn't even know who he was at the beginning of the episode, right? Uh, I did know who he was. Um, I remember that he was, he was fine enough in Suicide Squad. Yeah. And I saw <laughs> Child 44, maybe? And he was fine in that? He's also fine in Safe House. He's not yeah, bad safe in Safe House. Yeah, Safe House, he's good. Darkest Hour he's also in. Oh, he's also in The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Really? Yeah, Krister Malm. He's like uh, uh, one of the random like people on the island, I think. No, I think that's the Swedish one. I th- it's got to be. No, it's the, it's the one. It's the Daniel one? Craig, yeah. Huh. Yeah, he's in it. I just watched it again. I know, I did too. I don't remember him. Uh, anyway, yeah, Kinnaman's definitely my, my first on here because wow. I've seen more of what he's done and he doesn't piss me off every time I look at him. <laughs> I think uh, so. Okay. All right. Go ahead. What you got? What you got? So I got Kinnaman at one. Yep. <laughs> I actually have Jai Courtney at number two. That's outrageous. <laughs> That's blasphemy. <laughs> well, I mean, he's hor- this list is horrible. These are horrible people to choose from. Okay. And then, and then, basically, I just had to put like the other people I'd like to watch in order, which I guess would be Worthington, <laughs> Eastwood, and then Hunnam. Okay. Wow. So you're really harsh on Hunnam. I think he's awful, but I don't think he's. I don't think that he's on the whole awful. I like. I have to believe that you couldn't have. Every single one of these people has made a movie other than him more recently, right? Uh, I mean, King Arthur. People like King Arthur. I just, I, I didn't see it. I, I think my ranking would here have to would have to be uh, dead last to Scott Eastwood. Like, I just, he was so bad in Pacific Rim Two. It was offensive. It was offensive how bad he was. I think he was better than Hunnam in, <laughs> in this movie. You, you want to give me your best? I think he was better than Hunnam in the Hunnam voice. <laughs> I think he's better than Hunnam. I think he's better than Hunnam. 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 Um, I think. I think. Uh, uh, gotta be Eastwood's five for me, and then, <laughs> and then I think Jai Courtney's probably four. Courtney's really bad. He's like Jai Courtney's frustrating because like everything you see Jai Courtney in, you're like you are literally the definition of the irrelevant white guy. He's like the sub villain that fights Cruz and Jack Reacher. He's like a character in Suicide Squad, also in Suicide Squad. Um, in fact, aren't three of these guys in Suicide Squad? Jai Courtney and Kinnaman are both for in it. sure. Yeah, and I thought Scott Eastwood was in it too. He needs to be in it. Um, I think my number one on here is yeah, who's your number one? It's Worthington. I actually think Worthington's like borderline okay. In what? Like I liked Worthington as oh shit, what was that movie he was in? I liked him in uh, Exodus: Gods and Kings. Wait, shit, that was no, no, no. I liked I like him in um, in Avatar just fine. I think he's fine in Avatar. Like, and I also like him in Hacksaw Ridge. I like him in Hacksaw Ridge. Oh, that's fair. He is good in Hacksaw Ridge. Yeah. Maybe, no, he's third on my list, so maybe it would change yeah. him with Jai Courtney. <laughs> I just think that Jai Courtney, as much as I hate him, and like, you can go back and watch both our Jack Reacher episode and any other movie that we've covered that he's been in, <laughs> I'm not a fan, but I also believe that he can do more. I don't know why, yeah. but I truly do. Yeah. I don't know. Fair don't enough. Know. Fair enough, guys. Moving on. That's, that's the uh, the rank, the irrelevant <laughs> white guys conversation. Right. And speaking of, let's go into Charlie Hunnam's career with our star profiles. So 
Charlie Hunnam was, I mean, this was this was his peak, was right here. It was, so he did Deadfall in 2012, 321, Frankie Go Boom in 2012, and The Ledge in 2011, all basically riding the coattails of Sons of Anarchy. Yeah, I think the show, unless I'm mistaken, I think that show ended in 2014. Might have ended in 2015. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm basically positive that's what happened. And so the studios were grooming him. They were trying to Eastwood figure out. Eastwood is in Suicide Squad. He is. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he plays a soldier in Suicide This is amazing. Yeah. It's amazing that you just came up with five random people and that three, <laughs> three of them are in Suicide, Suicide Squad. Yeah. I'm um, very happy right now. That's funny. <laughs> so so I think it was canceled in like 2014 and people loved that show. I mean, Sons of Anarchy, it. when it was on TV, was one of those shows that like, it was it was like in the top ten frequently referenced shows that people were watching. It's one of those shows that when I went and watched it, I just felt like I was I was missing something. Because I watched five episodes, which is a lot. Yeah. It's oh, yeah. a lot. Um, and I just couldn't get into it. It wasn't bad, but it just wasn't like gripping. But um, <clears throat> I don't really remember Hunnam in it. But I, that show was huge. Legend of the Sword, King Arthur was 2017, I believe, right? That was last year? Really? I think it was, it was just, it was that recently. I think it was just last year. It could have been 2016. It was, right? Yeah, yes. people really liked that movie. Marissa well, liked it. Richard liked it. There's people in the chat that liked it. Some people liked it. It just didn't make any money. Yeah. Problem. It was a giant flop. So. They, you know, he had been in that, and he was in this in 2013, and you figured, you know, the studio starts to put King Arthur into development in 2015, probably. That's that's probably when that starts to kick into it, filming in 2016. So he's kind of still like, you know, this movie came out and it made money, so it was like, okay, Hunnam's bankable. And he also, <clears throat> in last year or the year before, was in The Lost City of Z, which was like an indie movie that a lot of people liked. Oh, yeah. Um, and I think there's some, you know, people have some... Uh, some some belief that he's a good actor. So um, I don't I don't think that he will get. I mean Taylor Kitsch is in movies again, and John Carter lost all the money. Yeah. So like, just because King Arthur lost all the money, I think that probably Hunnam gets to be like and the co lead or the villain in something next. Is my guess. And if there's anything that the show and Hollywood has proven is that like if you're put in the right role at the right time, you can do anything. Yeah. And and you can come back. And I think Taylor Kitsch is a great example of someone that did that because if you look at the roles that he's done over the last few years, he's he started to pick right. Yeah. He started to really fall into roles that have separated from this conversation because honestly, when we started the show, I would have thrown him in that category. Yeah, right. And uh, and I don't believe he's in there. Uh, so Rinko Kikuchi, um, <clears throat> her movies are tough because I don't really, I don't know them. So The Warped Forest in 2011, Love Strikes in 2011, and At River's Edge in 2011. I could have picked Idris Elba, but she was truly the secondary lead in this movie. I think she does a good job. Really? Ish. Really? I mean... <laughs> I mean, hold no, your opinion. No, <laughs> I mean, no. I mean, the two of them and their relationship on screen is, is, is pretty bad, and you wonder... I was wondering, this is, you know, I, I can just say this, because my mom has, she has an, a pretty strong Korean accent. Yeah. And in the second movie, the uh, the the lady in it is also, she's Chinese, right? Yeah, right. And she speaks mostly in Chinese throughout the film, but when she speaks in English, it's pretty bad. Yeah, Like, right. her delivery is, it's, it's, it's not very believable, kind of like Charlie's English accent in this one. You're talking about the one who runs the company? <clears throat> yeah, 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 Shao Industries or whatever, so... 
I don't think she's that bad. It's just her delivery. Like, I believe what she's doing and her actions, but it's when she, it's like the actual saying of the words for her. It seems like she struggles. And, and honestly, it feels the same way with Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. So but, I actually think that she's the stronger of the two. They're, in an earlier draft of the script, um, they they never spoke to each other in English. <laughs> I'm serious. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they only, and they, their, their drift connection allowed him to basically hear her speaking to him. And uh, I'm not sure if she's... Is she, is she Japanese? Japanese. She's, She's Japanese. Japanese in the film. Okay. Uh, and he, so he would hear her voice in his head. So they never actually would have had to deal with interacting with words. That might have been a better choice. <laughs> well, <laughs> how would they have? They're like, yeah, but then we realized there'd be no talking in the whole movie. So we yeah. had to change it. So uh, anyway, that's, that's kind of where we're at with these two guys. Um, Sometimes you got to come in here and you just got to tear a movie apart. Yeah, but the thing is, is we still loved it. We still had a really good time watching it. I think that's why we're like laughing while we're doing it. So getting into production development, Guillermo del Toro, this this is an interesting time in his career because, you know, we have the segment, what are you thinking, man? Guillermo... This feels like that movie for him, but he, like you were saying, he'd only really only done Pan's Labyrinth that anyone knew about. Yeah, in he, he, he had basically done. He's one of the three amigos of cinema, is what they're called. Uh, it's this, these three Spanish directors, uh, these three Mexican directors that are all uh, they're kind of this group, and it's Guillermo del Toro, that's Alejandro Gonzalez in R.A. Two, and it's Alfonso Coron. Right, three of the best directors in the world right now. They've all now won an Oscar for best director. Yes, and uh, but you know, ten years ago that was not the case. I guess Ang, Ang Lee had won in an 06, so I think the first Oscar by these guys was probably in. Yeah, it's all recent, actually. Yeah, it's all within the last five years. Gravity is the first one. Gravity, 2009, in, Gravity in 2013 is Yeah, Caron, so five years. And 2014 yeah. and 2015 are both Gonzalez and Ari 2, mm-hmm. and 2017 is Del Toro. That's yeah. an amazing run for these guys. And these are, and, and, and by the way, all three of them worked on this movie. Uh, Inari 2 and Suarón came in and helped him edit after it was done, and they took out pages. I think Suarón took out or in, one of them, I think Inaritu took out 10 minutes, which makes sense because he's an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> and then yeah. Suarón did less. Uh, but anyway, I didn't mean to interrupt. So yeah, they're kind of, they're, they're known and, and they are, you know, they're all longtime friends. And Del Toro broke in with, uh, you know, he produces a lot of other movies and, and he's, he's, he's a very prolific creator, but he broke in really with um, Pan's Labyrinth. He had done Hellboy and he had done Hellboy 2, mm-hmm. uh, which were both, you know, well, well-loved movies. And then he does... Pan's Labyrinth, I think, which is like 06, probably. I think it's right in there. Yeah, Sounds 05 right. or 06, definitely. And after that, 2006, you know, yeah. Yeah, there's a few other movies that, that get thrown <clears> in there. And he did Crimson Peak a few years ago. He did this film. And there's one other Del Toro movie that I'm forgetting that's like a very, people very much like. Uh, I got it right here. Um, but what am I forgetting? Pacific Rim, Hellboy, Pan's Labyrinth, Hellboy, Blade 2, Devil's Backbone. Yeah, I guess. Mimic. Yeah, okay. Mimic is sweet. So I guess I'm not. Which is no, kind you of, got them all. Which is kind of the point, which is that in 2013 when this movie came out, it was like, this is this fan favorite director who makes like, he makes sci-fi fantasy movies, right? He creates crazy creatures. That's like one of his, one of his hallmarks of his movies is he makes these really, really, really incredible looking monsters. <clears throat> and I think there was a lot of faith that, okay, he's going to make Godzilla's versus Robotech basically. And it's going to be amazing because why wouldn't it be? Because he's going to make this colors amazing and it's design this beautiful movie. And he does. And it is. Yeah. That's the thing about this movie that's so much better than the second movie to me is that like Whoa. he just made like there's the scene where Mako's walking uh, and it's like the flashback and, and the world is all blown up. Yeah. And like it's this crazy shot from right to left and it's just like beautiful blue colors and she and, and she's like this little girl walking through this like destroyed city and you're like, okay, 
That's why this guy did this movie. Yeah. Because if this was Michael Bay, this would be like a wraparound 360, and, and what, none of these colors would be here. And they specifically talk about that scene as yeah. one of the reasons why he wanted to direct this movie. I think it's that scene, and there's one other one specifically that, that you talk about where it's like, that's why Guillermo wanted to do these this film. And it makes sense, because those moments are Guillermo del Toro. And if the movie had that throughout it would have been would have been so much stronger yeah for sure it's just it's just missing yeah it's just, I, it's not even i don't know like, like what it's missing necessarily is it's just like it just doesn't have it doesn't have the heart that it's supposed to have to make you give a shit about these characters at all and that's the problem um, yeah the visuals are unbelievable and you know that he had like a lot to do with the monsters they designed. They, they designed over a hundred Jaegers and a hundred Kaiju's for this movie. Yeah, what they, what they would do is with all the artists on set is they would have like a pool almost every week where it was just like draw the craziest Kaiju you could, and the winner would be thrown in. You know, and yeah, they right. had like hundreds. They only used like a handful. Um, but the uh, the writer here, Travis Beecham, him and Guillermo were they they like started talking in two thousand six about a movie called Killing on Carnival Row, um, and then. That movie ended up falling apart, and so Beecham conceived uh, Pacific Rim the next year when he was walking in the Santa Monica Pier, which is funny because that scene is in the second movie. Yeah, right. But he was walking on the Santa Monica Pier, and he thought about this crazy monster and a crazy robot fighting and, like, what it would do. And uh, he said it just sort of materialized out of the fog, vast godlike things. And then he later conceived the idea of two pilots because what happens when one dies? Right. So that was that was basically it. It was a 25-page treatment with that in there that he sold. Yeah. And then it took about six more years of things, or about five more years of you know production and all that stuff happening. There was a movie that Guillermo was working on called uh, At the Mountains of Madness that he mm-hmm. was um, supposed to do. And uh, if you read about it, when that movie was canceled, I believe Tom Cruise was supposed to star in it. Um, Guillermo del and Cruise? Yeah, which wow. would have been sick. Uh, when that movie was canceled um, due to budgetary things, he, he couldn't agree on the R rating and the $150, or $150 million budget. He said he weeped like all weekend. He'd yeah. never done that for a movie, and then on Monday he signed the deal to do uh, Pacific Rim. So... You know, it, it's always interesting how long things take. It took six years for this movie to come into fruition, but it also was, we talked about it earlier on the show, it was one of those things where this wasn't really something Guillermo was comfortable with. He didn't have enough time or the budget he wanted. He had to, like, have, like, a uh, a B-team go and film stuff in the morning without him being there and yeah, right. stuff like that. So that is why I think, what are you thinking, man? Yeah. <laughs> Look, there's so much in here that you want to do, Guillermo, and I yeah. get it. Right. But you've already done Pan's Labyrinth, and we see that you're a storyteller, like a beautiful, you love to tell love stories. Yeah, right. So you look at this movie, and you're like, you don't get the budget you want, you don't get the time you want, you don't have the actors you want, and you don't get to tell the story you want. What are you thinking? Yeah, right. So we decided we would do a segment called What Are You Thinking, Man? And uh, we would talk about a few a few other great directors that did films that we were just like, are you serious? Why are you doing this movie? Uh, and uh, I think we'll just jump straight into it. There's a couple, you know, classic, classic examples. Honorable mention to Scorsese for directing Kundun. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but we're not going to dissect that one here today. Um, God, but I'm, I'm going to jump in first with, uh, with, with Ridley Scott. And I'm going to say that when Ridley Scott directed Exodus Gods and Kings... It was just like, what are you doing, man? Oh man! It was like, let's direct it. Let's direct a film all about Egyptian and Hebrew characters, and let's cast it with entirely white actors. Uh, even like the way that Joel, the way that Joel Edgerton is made up in that movie is offensive. It is uh, so offensive, yeah. and the fact that Joel Edgerton and uh, Christian Bale took that movie. Thank God it wasn't like three years later. They would have gotten black, black, blacklisted. Yeah. 
It was bad. It bad was very news. bad. It was bad. And because at that point in his career, it's like Ridley Scott should have the sense to know what movies to take, what movies not to take, and how to do it. He's done so many movies, and he's done some bad ones. He has done some bad movies, but that one in particular, I remember uh, it was two days before it was coming out, and we didn't have any reviews published. The embargo still hadn't dropped. There was no press screenings for that movie at all. They didn't let the press see it or talk about it. That movie came it came and went so fast. <laughs> Yeah, and it looked sweet, man. <laughs> it looked sweet, It yeah. looks Ridley Scott directing it. Epic. Um, all right, so mine is going to be kind of falling in the same wheelhouse. Although I actually heard most people liked this movie, and that is that Darren Aronofsky directing Noah. Oh, I never saw this. Uh, so I didn't either. And I, I was actually saw this. talking to our buddy John Schnepp the other day who was saying it was, just, it was just mismarketed horribly and there's actually really sweet parts in it. Yeah. But then... Uh, someone else was there. I don't remember who it was, but all the things that Schnepp was saying was sweet was yeah. the exact reasons why the other person hated it. <laughs> so I was just like... Frank Roca. Yeah, right? <laughs> but it was just like one of those things It's like, look, you're Darren Aronofsky. You did Requiem. Yeah. You know, like, you're doing... You did Mother. Mother, even though I heard it was bad, makes sense for him to do a movie like that. You did Black Swan. You did The Wrestler. Yeah, he's in a great run. Noah just feels totally out of nowhere. So for me, it was just like, what are you thinking, man? And then it actually ends up, I guess, better than what I've heard, but still not a good movie. Yeah. I'm going to jump in with number two, and I'm going to say that when Spielberg did Kingdom of the Crystal Skulls uh, in 2008, that's a what are you thinking, man, moment for, for me. because And it's been well documented. People have talked about this one a lot. But, I mean, at this point in time, you know, Spielberg had had this really interesting run in his career, right? So from, from about 2000, you know, 2002 to like 06, he makes like a bunch of pretty memorable movies. Really good movies. Like overall, very solid. You know, Minority Report, Catch Me If You Can, Munich, War of the Worlds, like movies that are well liked. And he goes ahead and he's just like, I'll just follow that up and I'll just go back to the well. It's been 20 years. Yeah. Why not? Harrison Ford's not that old yet. We'll make a movie with him in, back in the lead. It'll be... Oh, and who's popular right now? What's that kid's name? Yeah. Booth? Shia LaBeouf. Oh, Shia LaBeouf. Let's throw him in there. Let's go make this movie. And it's just like from, from the minute that you started watching it till the minute it was over, you were just like, is that movie 2005? Eight, eight, because Transformers had already happened. Yeah. 2007, right? I think it's yeah. just literally, it was literally just like, this didn't need to ever happen. And it's funny because there's the moment at the end where LaBeouf, when they're in the church, picks up the hat. He picks up Indy's hat and he, and he starts to almost put it on and Indy grabs it. And you're like, you know, <laughs> you're like, thank God this movie was bad. Because I didn't need to see that. <laughs> I did not need to see that kid be Indiana Jones. Dude, did you know that I have never seen that movie? Oh, Crystal Skulls is so bad. It's, That's the one with Blanchett in it too, right? Uh, maybe? They bring, they bring yes. back... Yes, Yeah, okay. Blanchett's in it? Yeah, they, they bring back... What's her name from Raiders? The... the What's a? We just covered <laughs> literally last week on the show. Oh man, Rosalie, uh, Rosalind, Leslie, Rosamund Pike. Thank you. Uh, okay, so that that basically. Oh no, we got we got more. We, we got, got yeah, more. Yeah, yeah, we yeah, got, yeah, we got more. What are you thinking, man? Uh, what are you thinking, man? So that was your second one. Yeah, it was my number two. Your yeah. Number two. My number two is Peter Jackson following up the greatest trilogy of all time. Sure. With the Lovely Bones. Yeah. It's just bad. It's it's like the last act of Return of the King. Yeah. Over and over and over, but without <laughs> without the you bow to no one part. <laughs> so it's just horrible. It's just like it's just like Anna. It's Karen Allen. Thank you, Marissa. Hey, for let me I was I singing that. my Aragorn song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so The Lovely Bones was a very bad movie and it, it was just like 
Well, so you can do wrong, still, yeah. Peter Jackson. Uh, I'm going to jump into my next one, and that's going to be uh, the director is Francis Ford Coppola. There's a few choices here. Marion was her uh, name. Yes, Marion, and yeah, Karen, Karen Allen, Allen is yeah. the actress. Uh, big shout-out to uh, Francis Ford Coppola directing Jack. Some people love that <laughs> film. <laughs> I another, love Jack. Another shout-out to Francis Ford Coppola directing Bram Stoker's Dracula, 92. Another film I'm not a big fan of, but I'm going to ultimately settle on yet another continuation of a trilogy, and that's the fucking Godfather Part oh, 3. yeah. I've seen The Godfather Part 3 one time. One time. And I just could not stand it. I couldn't believe why they made that movie. It's like, it is... Okay, you talk about Crystal Skulls being offensive. The Godfather is like the most properly rated movie of all time. It's truly, Both of them are. Yeah, they're, they're you know? truly two of the greatest movies ever made. They haven't aged badly. They're perfect. They're so good. And like... It wasn't 74, and then in 79 he made part three. He waited till 1990. Was it 72, 74, and 79? No, I 72, mean 74, and 90. He waited 16 years to make a third installment. And it was just like... Dude. 16 years. And it's, we're not talking about an action franchise. We're no, talking about... We're like, talking about the greatest movie ever made. If Orson Welles had made Citizen Kane 2 in 1956, it would have been a problem. I guarantee it. Citizen it wouldn't have worked. Yeah, it would have been, would have been real bad. Yeah. Uh, it is amazing how that third film hasn't made the first two any less good. You know no. what I mean? Like the legacy of those. But they do People like just, to show. They just don't talk about the third one. But like, but like TNT will be like, we've got the Godfather trilogy playing all weekend, and it's like, so you guys probably paid X for one, X for two, <laughs> and three was just thrown in, and you get three for free. But <laughs> yeah. you need to justify the cost of the first two for cable, so gotta show that one too. I've never seen it, and probably never will. And my number one. What are you thinking, man? Is James Cameron directing two through five of the Avatar for his next movie's <laughs> lined up? Haven't even come out yet. Haven't even come out yet. He's got nothing else lined up for the rest of his life other than these movies. I could have went with Piranha 2, but he was young. Yeah. It seems, uh, it, see, that would have seemed unfair. unfair. Yeah, it was unfair. Um, what are you thinking, man? You're like one of the greatest directors of all time, and I don't know what crack they have on that place what crack he's smoking what crack you're smoking on that <laughs> island that avatar island but for some reason he's just obsessed and i just can't can't figure it out and and yes a shout out an honorable mention jacob leaf to basically anything tim burton's done in the last 10 years yeah <laughs> he it, said specifically the dark shadows the factory charlie uh, oh sure which was really bad charlie yeah. and Factory, or what, what was it uh willy wonka and the Chocolate willy, yeah. or, or no charlie and chocolate factory it must be the because willy wonka is the original one i think yeah. Right? I don't know. Charlie's the newer one? Yeah, I mean, Dark Shadows uh, was really, really bad. Um, Pla- Planet of the Apes? <laughs> That's going back. Oh, yeah. That's really bad. That was a really bad one. That was really bad. Tim Roth is a sweet villain, though. He is a good villain. Uh, all right, so those are our What Are You Thinking Mans. If you guys have other ones that are really good, throw them in the chat. Throw them on the Facebook page. Comment on the video. Uh Oh yeah, comment and like the videos. We have, I mean, I haven't been paying much attention to the comments lately, but they're still getting good ones out there. Yeah, there's some good comments. I go to look at them from time to time. I mean, I appreciate you guys doing that. You know, and obviously, a lot of you guys probably haven't done it in a long time, or some have. But you know, if you're if you're watching or listening right now and you really want to help us out, go give us an iTunes rating and oh, review. Yeah. Give us five stars and say something nice about the show because we never really shout it out anymore. And unless you do, you know, that's just not something that happens very often. So yeah, um, yeah. All right, so we are. I'm going to really breeze through this stuff because we have a couple more things we need to do. So this was produced by Warner Brothers. It cost 190 million dollars to make. It grossed 101 domestic, 309 million foreign, which is crazy, but that makes sense. Uh, for a grand total of 411 million dollars on a 190 million dollar budget, but it opened third 
yeah. at uh, 37 million, which is massive. It was behind Grown Ups 2 at 41 million and Despicable Me 2 in its second week at 43 million. Yeah, it's funny. The um, A lot of the stuff with the second movie is designed and marketed to China. That's the whole point of it. Right. Because literally, if you look at these numbers, it's like it lost a lot of money in the States. Yeah. But in China, it did a lot. It made a lot of money. And that's the whole point. They made a second movie specifically for the international market, uh. which is why it's the different. With it, you've got like the Shao, I mean, why it's set in China? Why Shao yeah. Industries is the biggest part, while the secondary lead is a Chinese female. Exactly. That's yeah. very interesting and yeah. very Hollywood. Uh, it's got a six point nine on IMDb. It's got a seventy one percent by all critics, a sixty seven by top, and a seventy seven percent by audience. Feels feels right. Yeah, I think through. I think seventy one is as high as I'd go on this. Sixty seven, seventy seven is a little high for me. That's like yeah. that gets pretty close to being like a good, like an actually really good movie. But an audience score of seventy seven, I guess, is fair because it does have like if somebody was like face off to seventy seven, I'd be like, you're wrong. It's better than that. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. You're like, yeah, it's like an eighty six. <laughs> uh, all right, favorite line? Anything, Charlie? Anything Charlie Hunnam Anything says. Anything Charlie Hunnam says. Um, I think probably it's it's Idris's. The edge of our hope. Yeah, that's that's a sweet speech. I mean, he's it's it's one of the most memorable parts of the whole movie. Yeah, it is. It's just, it's classic Independence Day. It's classic action movie formula. You need a sick speech in there. Yeah, you need a great speech. I thought that part was great. I also I also love uh, as we said before the show, like um, when <laughs> Idris is like, it takes more. Than just a, a psychological connection, it also takes a physical connection, and you're like, and you're like, oh, I see. So you don't want them just, hooking up because like that's, <laughs> that's what you your think's daughter, happen. essentially. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, great, nice foreshadowing, bro. Uh, I like first thing, don't ever touch me. Yeah. Second thing, don't, don't ever, ever touch me. me. Yeah, it was a good one. Uh, it would have been nice to talk more about Idris in this because it's this that this was this was his way up. This was his yeah. moment. I mean, this is really when he was spiking. Like, all of a sudden, the world's like, oh, this Idris Elba guy, he could be the next James Bond. And like, yeah. it's. I mean, he's. Still doing it. He's still huge. Oh, it's he's just... still awesome. It's just he's just not as big as he was then. Uh, and it would have felt like a cop out to talk about him on this episode because it would have just been so easy. He's just so good. It's a shame. You know? Dark Tower was just not yeah. good. Oh, God, I know. I wanted to be good so bad. So my favorite line is actually from Charlie Day. Oh, and it's early on. He, he goes, "You know," and I'll tell you something else. Fortune <laughs> favors the brave, dude. I just loved it. I love the way he said it, and it, and I love that it's like a. It's like a, a measly, like, squirmy office dude trying to be, like, brave. And yeah, you're right. like, you know what? And, and I just love it because it's, it's, he's got such conviction behind it. He truly believes it. And uh, obviously it pays off. Um, the second movie, we'll see what happens with Charlie. We basically haven't talked about Charlie Day a single time this entire episode until just right now. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was um, the first time. Yeah. And or Ron Perlman, for that matter. Yeah. Perlman's sweet. Yeah. They're both good in it. Yeah. He's got the one eye. Yeah, when he comes back, he's like, "What's he you owe me a kaiju brand, you one-eyed bitch?" <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, all right, so AMA questions. We're gonna skip past that. We didn't. I mean, we, I feel like we answered most of them. But Richard Eric Jarvey did request that we do something we haven't done in a very long time. Ben, oh good, oh good. Look at this. Uh, we have a section on the show. It's called Cage versus Cruise. <laughs> this is where we talk about uh, great movie lines, classic movie lines written by classic writers, set in the voice of Tom Cruise or Nick Cage. Um. Yeah. So, <laughs> so what if Cruz? What if Cruz had had this role? Because th- this is totally could have been Cruz. Like he actually could have played this role. He could have played Hunnam. That's not why you grounded her. I was in her memories. I saw everything. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay, Marco. <laughs> I can do this alone. All I have to do is fall. Anyone can fall. 
There are things you can't fight. Acts of God. You see a hurricane coming. You have to get out of the way. But when you see a Jaeger, suddenly, you can fight the hurricane. You can win. Suddenly, you can fight the hurricane! You can win! You can win! <laughs> Let's do this! What are some other ones? The edge of our hope. The edge of our hope. What? <laughs> are, you, are you talking? What are some other lines in this movie that are so... Basically, anything... I, was, I went on IMDb quotes to pull... Some quotes. And they, they don't put any of his in. Because no. <laughs> they're all so bad. His quotes in the movie... Um, I don't think about the future very often. Until now. Yeah, or like... <laughs> you were holding me. I couldn't breathe. Who'd have thought it came from beneath us <laughs> in the ocean? <laughs> Who'd have thought? Yeah, I, I think it's probably not enough. It's probably Precursor, about... Marissa's turned us off. Uh, she turned <laughs> off the microphones. Well, so. you know what? Everyone is enjoying it in the chat. They're uh, losing their shit. <laughs> I hope so. That's good. That's good. Thanks, guys. Classic. Thanks for being so supportive of this yeah, episode. Yeah, thanks, guys. Uh, so, Ben, there are three action movie categories. Yeah, the three action movie categories are totally ridiculous, totally legitimate, ridiculously legitimate, totally legit. It's going to be movies like, oh, I don't know, Gladiator or Lone Survivor. They're, they held to go, they're hold, they hold together really well with some really dramatic, great component. They don't really lose you at all. There's totally ridiculous movies like Face Off, Con Air, Demolition Man. They're really silly. Just You kind of laugh all throughout, but you know you're enjoying them and there's a reason you're watching. And there's Ridiculously Legitimate, which is the middle category. That's like Predator and Point Break and mm. The Rock. There's like one really good thing about them at least. One really dramatic principle that's making them just work. But you do kind of laugh throughout a little bit. Mm. This you movie go first? is totally ridiculous really <laughs> yeah yeah there's th- even even the idris speech right he is good and it is a good speech it's the only thing that almost holds this movie together but all the things like with the monsters and the robots looking cool they don't legitimize the movie it's just awesome it, right. just, it looks just looks awesome sick. yeah 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 i gotta agree yeah. it's totally ridiculous <laughs> it's there's there's nothing ridiculous. to latch onto this other than idris's other than just idris He's like really, a, really just him. He's like a believable, real, solid part of the movie. Yeah. He makes you feel something. His relationship to Mako is good. Richard, I appreciate you getting drunk. Yeah. And I'm sorry that you have to sober up now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it, it's both, yeah, ridiculously legitimate. No questions. Excellent. I mean, no, excuse me, totally ridiculous. Yeah. So we've got uh, one last thing left on the show here, and that's going to be called The Pitch. All right, guys, so this is kind of an interesting one. We have to explain something to you. So, Oh, yeah. Uh, this is a good one. This is a good one. <laughs> so it's the spring, uh, and I, I, one of these companies I work for takes me out of town quite a bit. And unfortunately, next week, I last minute have to go out of town on Wednesday. Andrew and I, with the nature of our schedules this week, we're not going to be able to get in here to do a live pre-tape, which means we are going to be using a pre-tape that we we prepared for this moment. It's <laughs> a word we can We've, use. Yeah, we prepared for this <laughs> moment by coming in here recently and filming The Dark Knight Rises. We, we actually did. We did The Dark Knight Rises as an episode on the show, and uh, it was recent, so it's not going to be dated or anything like that, but <laughs> I'm we, like fat again. <laughs> <laughs> so this is going to be like one of those flashback episodes in Friends, basically Andrew's Chandler. Um <laughs> No, no, no. But like we, so we recorded this, but we did it back to back with the previous week's episode. So, so or the, that that actual week's episode, and, and we'd tape Patreon segments that morning. as yeah, well. Yeah. So like it was the end of three to four hours of shooting, and our brains are just a little bit mush. Yeah. So it's we picked this movie specifically 
Because it's got one of the greatest villains of all time. Because despite how fucked up we were, we can still do a good job. And we knew that obviously we'd be able to get through the episode even if we were tired because it's a great movie that you guys all love and that's why it's The Dark Knight Rises. But you guys are going to get to see that episode air next week because that's what we have for you. The following week we'll be back. We'll be doing something else, something awesome. I don't think Ready Player One. Um, I I need you to see it first, and then when you do, we can talk about it. But. Yeah, yeah, we'll see what happens with Ready Player One. But for The Dark Knight Rises, you know, Ben's going to be out of town, but my, my mom's going to be in town next week. I got my birthday coming up. So maybe we will we'll do our best to hop in the live chat. I know yeah. I'll at least see if I can. Uh, that way we can talk to you guys, and we can kind of all laugh together. The, the episode's super fun. Super it's, fun. It's, we're, we're making it out to be far worse than it is. We just, you know, we're kind of perfectionists. It's a lot like today's episode, but not, like, so pointed. Yeah, we're right. like much more like just kind of all over the place but it was so fun it was a really good one so uh and also it's the it's dark Knight rises so like you guys are gonna love it because that movie is fucking great it's amazing yeah so check that out next week guys we will be back as always check us out on twitter find the patreon uh, patreon.com slash team action we've got some mini patreon uh, amas coming up this week we've got some other cool stuff going on as well uh find me on twitter at ben media follow nerds and suits at nerds and suits and get daily movie news and reviews of every single movie go check that out uh you guys can find me Online at Andrew Guy, Richard Eric Jarvie. Thank you so much for your suggestions. Cage versus Cruise was fun. It was a good it's been one. a long time. Yeah, it's been a long time. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Marissa, and uh, we will see you guys same time, same place in two weeks. Bye, bye, guys. From producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. Views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals.